This podcast, I wanted to talk about the Mormon CES letter. This is something I just found out about recently. I just heard about it, I think, like, earlier today or the day before, uh, maybe yesterday or something like that. Anyway, the CES letter, as it turns out, was written by this guy. I believe uh, Jeremy T. Runnels, I guess, is who, who it was written by. It was a letter written to the Mormon church that basically poked holes in everything that they said. Poked holes in everything. And it was I think it was like 110 pages long or something like that. And they, he sent it to the Mormon church, I guess. Well, it eventually, over time, it got converted into a book. So if you ever wonder if the Mormon church is correct about anything, this is the place to go. Why don't you give the CES letter a read? So I figured we'd just kind of go through it take a look at it, see what it had to say. I just took a quick glance before the podcast to, to kind of look at the format of it and things like that. And it looks like it's kind of a bullet-pointed list, pretty much, or a numbered list. Uh, so I figure we, we kind of just go through a couple of them here and see what it has to say. Uh, so the first one on the list it has are, what are 1769 King James Version edition errors doing in the Book of Mormon, a purported ancient text, errors which are unique to the 1769 edition that Joseph Smith owned. Now, this is something that maybe not everybody would kind of get unless they were on the inside of the Mormon church, but from my understanding, the 1769 version of the King James Bible had translation errors and misunderstandings in it. Um, I don't really remember what they are now, but... They were really, tr they were trademark errors, trademark problems from that specific Bible. And in later editions, it was corrected, especially since uh, we got the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I think like the 1950s, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was basically a copy of like a whole bunch of books of the Bible. Somebody had copied down old books of the Bible. They were like thousands of years old these uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were. So we can look at the Dead Sea Scrolls and a bunch of other newer, more accurate uh, copies of the Bible or, or Bible books and see that the 1769 version of the King James Bible was just, they didn't have the information, the expertise in translating or the knowledge or the archaeology that we have today. So naturally, they're going to get things wrong that we aren't getting wrong today about it. So what we find is in the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith was purported to translate the Book of Mormon from a... Uh, I'm not even going to get into his translation methods. He was basically translating it, uh, quote-unquote, from the book or from the Golden Plates into the Book of Mormon. And you see 1769 King James Version Bible errors in it uh, stated as fact in the Book of Mormon. That is damning. That is one of the most damning pieces of evidence against the Book of Mormon being real, in my eyes. So that's the first one we see here. Here's the second point from the CES letter. When King James translators were translating the King James Version Bible between 1604 and 1611, which I, I think that's the first version. 
I know that's the version that Jehovah first appeared, and it, it didn't have a J. It had an I because J's didn't exist yet. It was I-E-H-O-V-A in this version. So when the translators were translating it between 1604 and 1611, they would occasionally put in their own words into the text to make the English more readable. We know exactly what these words are because they're italicized in the King James Version Bible. What are the 17th century italicized words doing in the Book of Mormon? Word for word. What does that say about the Book of Mormon being an ancient record? Here, and it gives a few examples. Uh, Isaiah 9.1 in the King James Version says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. So there are a few words here that are bolded. Shall, be, was, and by are bolded. And apparently, so those words were added by the translators in like 1604, but the Book of Mormon evidently had those exact words, that, that exact phrasing, everything in it when Joseph Smith translated it. Why? That doesn't make any sense. If, this, if the Book of Mormon was independent and from God, you shouldn't have seen things like that. That is damning evidence against the Book of Mormon having been translated by Joseph Smith legitimately. It's damning evidence against it. So it says, The above example, 2 Nephi 19.1, dated in the Book of Mormon to be around 550 B.C., quotes nearly verbatim, from the 1611 A.D. translation of Isaiah 9.1, King James Version, including the translator's italicized words. Additionally, the Book of Mormon describes the sea as the Red Sea. The problem with this is that, A, Christ quoted Isaiah in Matthew 4.14 and 15 and did not mention the Red Sea. B, Red Sea is not found in any source manuscripts. And C, the Red Sea is 250 miles away. So, this book, the Book of Mormon, is being presented as something that is independent and given to Joseph Smith by God. Uh, and according to Joseph Smith, of course, he had these physical plates in front of him. Okay, I said I wasn't going to get into the translation problems, but I'm going to get into it a little bit. Now, I, I want you guys to come into this understanding that I was never a Mormon, I don't know this material like an ex-Mormon or even a current Mormon would know. So I'm kind of wading my way through it as best I can because I feel like it's an important subject. So bear with me if I mess things up. You can correct me in the comments. But from what I understand, Joseph Smith started out, the story goes, he found these gold plates with stones buried in the ground outside of his old childhood home. I think he said he was 22 or something when he found it. And they sat there for five years or somewhere in there. Uh, a long time, years. They sat there for years because the angel, an angel came down and said, it's not time to get these out yet. Just leave them be. So he's building up the hype this whole time. And then he gets the, he purports to pull the gold plates out with the stones and 
he uses the stones to translate these gold plates. So I guess he doesn't really go into a whole, a whole lot of detail about how he did this, I don't think. But when they say stones, when Joseph Smith says stones, a lot of the time modern-day Mormons will say, well, he said stones, but what he was actually talking about was like spectacles, basically, like glasses, which glass is not stone, so I'm not 100% clear on that. Well, anyway, for a while, Joseph Smith's translation stuff consisted of sitting at a table, him on one side, uh, a dictator, I guess, or whatever, a scribe or whatever, somebody to write down what he's saying on the other side of the table, and a big sheet in between them so that the, the person writing it down as he said it couldn't see the gold plates, or they'd die or some nonsense. I don't know. Anyway, so that's how it went for a while, apparently. It went like that for a good long time with the, the sheets separating them. But it, at some point, Joseph Smith had this seer stone, quote-unquote, that he used in fraud when he was younger, was these old money-digging scams where he would tell people he could find buried treasure. He had this rock he found in a well, and it would speak to him and tell him where this buried treasure was. So if they paid him this amount of money, then he'd find it for him. And every time he appeared, uh, or every time he found the money, quote-unquote, it it, he'd say it had a hex on it, and it would start sinking deeper in the ground, gone forever. And of course, he would keep the money that they gave him to find it. So this seer stone that he used in these money-digging scams when he was younger, he started using it for translation. He would drop it in his hat, put his face in the hat, and start dictating to this person uh, who would then write down what he was saying. He was basically dictating the Book of Mormon to them and other stuff. Not, I don't think it was just the Book of Mormon. I think it was other stuff, too. So anyway, uh, it started out with the veil and the gold plates and everything, and then it moved to just throwing a rock in a hat and telling the person what what was being said. Um, And people say, it's such a complex story, how could he have possibly remembered all of this, and blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, that that, that argument does not hold up for me at all. Let's continue on with the CES letter, get a little bit more information on why this is just such a ridiculous idea. Okay, so we just hit number two, uh, and that was basically exact quotes from the King James Version of the Bible and and including the errors in it. So let's take a look at number three. The Book of Mormon includes mistranslated biblical passages that were later changed in Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible. These Book of Mormon verses should match the inspired JST version instead of the incorrect King James Version that Joseph uh, later fixed. A typical example of the differences between the BOM, KJV, and JST. I'm guessing BOM and JST are just different versions of the Bible. Uh, I'm not sure what they are, though, BOM and JST. But King James Version is KJV, so anyway. They give us a couple of examples. Uh, Third Nephi, uh, Matthew 6.25, Matthew 6.25, again... Uh, just from different versions of the Bible. Uh, 
But anyway, yeah, it's really, really fascinating stuff. This letter is really awesome. I, I had no idea it existed, and it blows my mind. I may actually do a full-blown video on it uh, at some point. So here's the fourth one. DNA analysis has concluded that Native American Indians do not originate from the Middle East or from Israelites, but rather from Asia, because Mormons make a lot of claims about uh, Native Americans and how they're the descendants of different people from the Middle East and things like that. So, you know, DNA evidence can prove or disprove that. That's a factual claim. We can know one way or another if that's true, right? Why did the church change the following section of the introduction page in the 2006 edition Book of Mormon shortly after the DNA test results were released? It said, the Lamanites and they are the principal ancestors of the American Indians. And then they changed it to the Lamanites and they are among the ancestors of the American Indians. So they actually changed what the Book of Mormon said. That's fascinating. I had no idea they did that. Update. The church conceded in its January 2014 Book of Mormon and DNA Studies essay that the majority of Native Americans carry largely Asian DNA. The church, through this essay, makes a major shift in narrative from its past dominant narrative and claims of the origins of the Native American Indians. It's so fascinating. This is such a valuable letter. I can't believe I didn't know this existed before. I'm going to read through this entire thing. And it's free to download. Like, I just got this off the internet. Anybody can get it for free. Uh, the PDF, at least. You can buy a hard copy of it, I think, off Amazon. But, I, yeah, I, I just... It blows my mind I didn't know about this. I just heard about it from Mr. Atheist, like, a couple days ago. I may end up doing a full-blown video on it on my main channel. But, anyway... I mentioned this a couple of times. I never go in my spam box. I just don't bother. YouTube puts stuff in there automatically. Like if somebody posts a link to a shady website or if they put a whole bunch of smiley faces one after the other or some other thing, then they'll put it in spam. Also, YouTube users have a reputation. So if you get marked as spam on some other uh, people's comment sections, then you'll probably get marked as spam on mine too. It's just how it works. It's your reputation. So I noticed this person said an ad for pureflix.com came on after viewing this video. That is apparently considered to be a questionable website, a shady website by YouTube. If you guys don't know what pureflix is, it's just awful. It is Netflix for Christians, I've come to find out. They have a bunch of like Christian shows on there, Christian movies. It's all everything Christian. It's just, it's so bad. It's basically like a Christian production company. I think that they sponsor things like God's Not Dead and, and all of that other stuff. Ray Comfort's garbage that he puts out. Anyway. Um, see, this is my dilemma. Do I accept the comment? It's not spam. It's not a spam comment. They're just telling me. But I don't want to advertise for PureFlix. And it is a link, so I don't know. I'm just going to delete it. But anyway, so this person says the mom looks like Coraline's mother, uh, Coraline's other mother. Yeah, talking about um, uh, Caleb and Sophia's mother. She does look a lot like 
the other mother from Coraline, doesn't she? That was an odd movie. It was a very Tim Burton-esque movie. All right, I'm accepting that one. The part about using unleavened bread for the Last Supper is biblical. The part about leaven or yeast being a symbol of corruption is not. On the contrary, Jesus compared his followers to leaven in the body of humanity. The reason unleavened bread would have been used for the Last Supper was that it was a Passover observance, and no leavening is used in Passover meals to commemorate the fact that the Israelites escaping Egypt had no time to let their bread rise, and only unleavened bread when they escaped. So uh, this person is basically, I mean, I can't speak to the accuracy of the comment. I, I think it sounds right to me, but, you know, I haven't researched it at all. Um, but, it, you know, if it were true, it would be another example of Jehovah's Witnesses just extrapolating from information that they had um, and applying it to their lives and ending up with this really weird messed up doctrine as a result. All right, I'm accepting that comment, too. Okay, so we've got a whole bunch of, we've got one person sending a whole bunch of comments. Well, the exact definition of it is harder. Uh, for context, the comment under which this person commented was, even if the gravitational waves detected were from the Big Bang, the Big Bang would still be in the theory category. And this person said, well, the exact definition of it's harder. It was an expansion of space itself, for instance, rather than a straightforward eruption detonation. That was actually from today's video, the bullet berry video. Okay, so this person is saying, I mean, Mr. Temporal, you know what? I'm going to accept these because this sounds legitimate to me. You all sound like colonizers to me. We don't speak. We don't all speak race politics, I'm afraid. It's mainly about logic and debate. Yeah, I'm accepting that one too. This person seems fine. I don't know why they're going to spam. Probably because they were marked spam by somebody else. But anyways, uh, so this person saying, even if the gravitational waves detected were from the Big Bang, the Big Bang would still be in the theory category. Bullet Berry explained this in his video. Theory is not, a scientific theory is not the same as a colloquial theory. People continue to mix these things up. There are, there are facts, and then there are laws and hypotheses and theories, right? So there's the fact of evolution, and then there's the theory of evolution. There's the fact of gravity, and then there's the theory of gravity. The theories are just overarching frameworks that describe actions or that describe facts that we see. Um, by saying the Big Bang would still be in the theory category, yeah, it it is a theory, but... We also have facts to back that theory up. The universe is expanding. That's a fact. We know that. It was once a lot closer together. We know that. We can look at the cosmic microwave background radiation and see the footprint of the Big Bang. So, yes, it's a theory. We use that theory to describe what happened, but it's also a fact. I don't know, this stuff just bothers me so much. Okay, let me just go back through a few more comments. In fact, I, I'm going to move from the spam comments into the regular ones. I notice here that... Oh, okay, this is this is getting interesting. There's a... There's a person here on in my comment section who posted this comment. It says, Telltale, could you please do an expose on Menlo Park? 
The scandal included money laundering, corruption, uh, collision. I assume they mean collusion or something. I don't know. Collision, theft, and seizure of millions of dollars of assets by the Watchtower Society. And it's on this website, jehoviswitness.com. It's an apostate website. I've seen it. I have an account there because some people or one specific person was spreading this weird rumor about me that I was trying to crowdfund a film that I wanted to make, and then I took the money and went to Europe or some weird something or other. Anyway, it was literally nothing about it was true. Nothing, like not even a little bit. I've never tried to crowdfund a movie uh, or anything, actually, aside from like Patreon. But anyway, uh Usually I don't open links. I don't even go to links. I just delete the comments. But you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this one up and take a quick glance here. JW, I'm sorry. JW Leaks has published court documents relating to the removal of the body of elders in the Menlo Park congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses, California, USA. The seizing of control of millions of dollars of congregation assets by Watchtower. Um, interesting. Okay, so here's here's. Here's one thing about this, okay? So Jehovah's Witnesses have this thing that they call the master plan. This is this gets really complicated. I've talked about their finances before on my YouTube channel, but <clears throat> the way it works is they the congregations used to be privately owned, uh, and the Watchtower Society, the company that that is Jehovah's Witnesses, basically. It's the Christian Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower Society. So the Watchtower Society is the printing press for the Christian Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses. It's all owned by the same person, pretty much. They're the same group of people. Uh, so a while back, they were trying... They, they've been hemorrhaging money because they've been having to pay out just t- millions of dollars to make up for these uh, court fees. They they have been sued out the ass by people because of these child abuse cases. They've been, uh, uh, people have been awarded $45 million, like $90 million, just tons and tons of money that these people are having to pay out. And as a result of that, Jehovah's Witnesses have had to downsize a lot. They had to come on they sold their headquarters and had uh, Jehovah's Witnesses build new headquarters for them that's smaller than the others. They laid off a third of their workforce on their cult compound, they, uh, a.k.a. Bethel. They uh, cut down on how much literature they were printing and producing, and they tried to switch over to apps. And here's another thing that they did. They tried to uh, institute this master plan, where is what they called it. That's their word for it. Where you know how airlines will sell like if they have if a plane has like a hundred seats available, the airline will sell like a hundred and twenty seats because they know like twenty percent of the people aren't going to show up, so they will overbook and. That way they, you know, usually the plane ends up full, completely full, and they make all of their money. They're not wasting any. Well, that's pretty much what Jehovah's Witnesses did with their congregations. 
instead of the Watchtower Society, this is how it used to work. The Watchtower Society used to loan money to buy property or, uh, you know, building materials or things like that. They would loan money and the congregation that built that kingdom hall would pay that money back over time. Although a lot of the time they would get these plots of land gifted to them or, or sometimes the congregation would just pay for it out of their own pockets, things like that. So anyways, the Watchtower Society owned the loan. The congregation owned the kingdom hall and the property, right? Well, when this master plan was instituted, the Watchtower Society took ownership of every kingdom hall. They, it was all deeded over to the Watchtower Society. And so I'm guessing like what this is talking about is uh, the, it says here, trying to find it. Watchtower Society seized control of millions of dollars of congregation assets. I, okay, this was five years ago. Yeah, this is probably, you know, okay, this could be a legitimate issue, but at this point, the Watchtower Society owns everything anyways. So all, this master plan was instituted a couple of years ago at this point. So, you know, this is kind of a moot point. Kind of disappointing to hear that they were mistreating people, and it does not surprise me at all. But, yeah, the, the Watchtower Society owns everything at this point, so it's kind of, yeah, we don't need to address it anymore. Really interesting, though, um, that they brought that up. I appreciate that. I'll tell you what, why don't I take some questions? Do you have one for me? How is Kylie doing? <laughs> And okay. what has she been? Oh, she's doing pretty well. She hasn't been up to too much. She's been playing Minecraft and whatnot. I actually went to uh, went to my friend's house last night, took her with me, and we hung out. Or I think it was last night. Yeah, that seems right. We hung out there, and she watched Wreck-It Ralph 1 and then part of 2. I've never seen those movies. Seems like the kind of thing that I'd... I'd be into, right? Because it's kind of retro games and stuff like that. But yeah, I've never seen them before. Uh, she seemed to to like them. I wasn't really paying attention to the movie. I was just kind of talking to my buddy and, and his brother and stuff. But anyway, yeah, she's doing pretty well. Uh, do you have any more questions for me right now? or Do you have any idea what taco time is? No, I don't. Okay, someone wanted to know if you preferred Taco Bell or Taco Time, and I didn't think you knew what Taco no, Time was. So. Never heard of Taco Time. I do like Taco Bell an awful lot, though. I'm sorry, guys. Taco Bell's pretty good. Yeah, I will say he eats that constantly, so. I don't eat it constantly. I eat it like once a week, maybe. Hang we on. also have a few more questions now. Do you, um, have you heard of the Protestant? Assembly, assemblies of God sect. Protestant Assemblies of God sect. No, I don't think I've heard of that one. You know, let me just take a quick glance real quick. Um, Assembly of God. Hmm. The Assemblies of God, officially the World Assemblies of God Fellowship, is a group of over 140 autonomous but loosely associated national groupings of churches which together form the world's largest Pentecostal denomination. Interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. If they're loosely associated, I would hesitate to call any one of them. 
I'm sorry. I would hesitate to call the entire grouping the Assemblies of God a cult because just right off the bat, I mean, I haven't even looked. It's possible they are. It's possible they're not. I don't know. But just generally, if it's a if it's more of a category than a specific group, then I won't name it a cult. For example, I didn't call I don't call Christianity a cult because it's more of a category than a group. If we want to call something a cult, we need to drill down and get to a group of people that identify strongly with a very specific set of beliefs and ideals and hierarchy and everything. Christianity doesn't have any of that stuff. It is, Christianity is just the idea that you believe in Jesus and his teachings. It's that simple. It doesn't get more complicated than that, really. Uh, Islam is the same way. It's not a cult because it's a category, not a group. It's a category of groups. And feminism is a category, not a group. We, we can talk about extremist feminist groups that could be cults, but there are feminists in the Middle East who are actually doing good work. They are not cult members. That's why I, I can't call Christianity a cult, can't call Islam a cult, can't call feminism a cult. It just does not make sense. Um, I, you know, but I, I'll meet some people halfway here and say that there are some very extreme feminist groups uh, that I, I would call cults. Anyways, do you have another question for me? Yeah. Um, have you ever gotten someone to convert when going door to door? And if not, what's the closest you've gotten? It's an interesting question. Uh, no, I have not. So I talked about this last one, I think. Uh, I've never converted anybody as far as I know. But here's the thing. So John Cedar, the John Cedar's YouTube channel, a.k.a. Lloyd Evans is his real name. He wrote a book called The Reluctant Apostate. And in that book, he talks a lot about the amount of work and time and effort that goes into converting a single person into the Jehovah's Witness religions, very specifically. So it it takes about 80... Uh, I th wait a minute. It was... I'm sorry. I think it was 10,000 hours of door knocking or phone calling or letter writing or some other type of evan or evangelizing. Uh, it takes about 10,000 hours, which if a Jehovah's Witness is just doing their normal baseline amount, say 10 hours a month or something, it could take them decades and decades and decades to just convert a single person. Now those aren't th those numbers were a lot lower in the 90s and, and early 2000s. Um, they converted a lot more people when they knocked on doors, but I think since the advent of the internet, it's gotten a lot better. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses just not only are they hemorrhaging numbers, they're having an awfully hard time bringing new people in. So that's pretty awesome. That's really good to hear. What is your favorite song? My favorite song? It, it changes. It varies from time, like, you know, day to day mostly. But I'm a really big fan of Tool. Uh, it is my favorite band by far. I love Tool. Uh, some of my favorite songs by them include Push It, which is probably my favorite just lyrically. I really love the song uh, and its lyrics. I also like Right In 2, and that's a unique choice for an atheist because a lot of Christians use that song, Right In 2, to kind of push their Christian agenda. But one thing about the 
person who wrote this, the lyrics for that song, Maynard James Keenan, is he is an atheist. Well, mostly atheist. I mean, he doesn't believe in Christianity in any stretch of the imagination. He wrote a song called Judith for another band where he talks about fuck your God, your Lord, your Christ, and all this other stuff. So he, he's not a believer in Christianity, but the perspective that he takes in the song Right in Two by Tool uh, is one that Christians like to latch on to and kind of use to, I don't know, promote their beliefs or whatever. You know, let me just look up the lyrics real quick. So here are the lyrics. Uh, here are some of the significant lyrics. Angels on the sideline, puzzled and amused. Why did Father give these humans free will? Now they're all confused. Uh, and then he says, Don't these talking monkeys know that Eden has enough to go around? Plenty in this holy garden, silly monkeys. Where there's one, you're bound to divide it right in two. So the, the point behind this song is kind of the fact that we're nothing more than just monkeys on this rock flying through space. Why do we care who owns what piece of land? You know, is it really worth murdering millions and millions and millions of people over? Is it really worth that? Uh, and then he says, this is one of Tool's most famous lines right here. It says, repugnant is the creature who would squander the ability to lift an eye to heaven, conscious of his fleeting time here. Now, like I said, Maynard is not a Christian in any sense. Uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, he is an atheist. So this, this line here is used a lot of the time by religious people to say, oh, look, you know, Maynard is a Christian, and this is a Christian song, and it's such a great song. But that's, that's not accurate. It's being misread if that's how it's being interpreted. Um, to me, that line is... We have consciousness here, and we have the ability to appreciate wh where we are and what's happening. And it, it, it's disgusting to think that somebody would take that for granted. Take what little time we have here for granted. But anyway, it's a really fascinating song. I really like it, uh, honestly, just for the beat alone. It's a very tribal-sounding beat. Uh, so that song, Push It by Tool, is really good. Um, Anima or Anima, I think is how it's pronounced. Anima is another good one. It's a very dark song, and I have a really dark part of my personality. So, uh, yeah, just a lot of really, really good music comes from Tool. The Pot. Uh, but also, in addition to Tool, I'm a really big fan of Pantera, Metallica, Megadeth. Metallica has completely sold out at this point. I mean, I don't believe in this whole selling out thing. Like, I will advertise. I have no problem advertising. I have to make money to do the job that I do, period. Nobody does anything. Nobody can work for free. Nobody can do their life's work or, or make a living without making money, bottom line. So I have no issue with advertising. But doing something that goes against my moral values for money, that's selling out to me. I won't do something that goes against my moral values for money. Or doing something that shows how corrupt my moral values are. Uh, like, that's kind of how I feel Metallica went. That's, like, that's the direction I feel Metallica went. Was 
They were just, they were in it solely for the money and no other reason, it seemed. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Who knows? But they still make good music. So, yeah, like Metallica, Megadeth. Um, I also like Eminem, surprisingly. Really kind of a big fan of Eminem. He's, you know, I listened to Eminem through some pretty interesting times in my life and kind of shaped my opinions on a lot of things. Uh, like my love for my daughter, for example. So there is that. First guess is Omega Riley. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, howdy. How's it going? I'm doing just fine, man. How you been? Oh, not bad. Uh, we've talked a few times now, haven't we? Uh, yeah, I called in um, last week on when Truth you were on wanted. that other podcast, which uh, the name, that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I called in and I had that question about... Um, the pedophilia and then i was on here once before yeah that's awesome i appreciate you calling in and talking to me that was a really interesting time um oh yeah i have a hard time going back and watching like some stuff that i do i don't know it's like there's something that just kind of bothers me about hearing my own voice but i'm kind of getting past it having edited my own videos for like three years at this point but I still have like a lot of trouble going back and listening. Uh, what did you think of the Truth Wanted show? Is it any good? Was it okay? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And actually, uh, have you ever heard the explanation as to why people don't generally like listening to recordings of their own voice? I I feel like I have, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Do you know why? Yeah, it's basically that when you hear your voice, you hear it like three times. You hear it um, once as it immediately travels to your ears, once reflecting off all the surfaces around you. And once as it vibrates basically through your jaw muscles in your skull, which uh, gives it a little bit more of a deeper kind of richer feeling. So generally when you listen to it on a recording, it sounds much more uh, nasally than you generally okay. hear it. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, uh, that that's pretty spot on. I do sound like super nasally when I'm recording videos. I don't know if that's accurate. Probably not. But it's okay. I hear it, man. I did choir for years. So whenever I had to listen to myself back over, it was just oh. it's cringy, right? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Bad. But uh, you are an ex Jehovah's Witness, aren't you? Yeah, I am. So why don't you tell me your story? I mean, I've heard it before and I remember a good bit of it. But for the audience, at the very least, uh, tell me what happened. Like, what was it like growing up for you as a Jehovah's Witness? Was it extreme or what was the situation with that? Um. It was pretty extreme growing up, and it was uh, it was kind of tough because a lot of my hall was all older kids, mm. or not even kids, or just uh, older members in general. So mm. there weren't really a lot of kids to talk to. So I really growing up only ever had like one friend at a time. Right. So uh, it, it was actually similar for me. Um, I think there were some kids in my hall, but I just didn't really hang out with them. It was like only a couple. Uh, what were you allowed to have outsider friends or were your parents pretty strict about it too? Um, they were somewhat lenient. I mean, like I said, I only ever had really friends. I, um, growing up, I was good friends with my next door neighbor who, mm. uh, their father is actually a pastor mm. who, uh, ran a separate church oh, and wow. yeah. So kind of a strange thing to hear from Jehovah's witnesses. Yeah. And uh, another friend uh, just moved into the neighborhood about the time I get kindergarten. We just kind of stuck together and my parents really didn't have a problem with it. I remember when I was younger, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I grew up in Connecticut and uh, one of our neighbors was a really good friend of mine. It was a kid and he was Jehovah's Witness and his mom was Jehovah's Witness, but his dad was disfellowshipped 
and lived with them. And I remember just thinking how bizarre that was and feeling so bad for her and for him. And it was just oh, so yeah. strange to look back on that mindset now, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's just crazy to think how we thought, like the, the mindset that they put us into and the things that, the way we felt about things, like the way we felt about being persecuted. For example, the way we felt about, the way I felt when I had dogs released on me in service. I'm sure if you've been in service, things like that have happened to you, right? I mean, oh yeah, everybody has a story like that. Uh, do you have a story of like some crazy thing that's happened to you in service? There were a couple. Um, when I was super young, I was insanely devout. It was, yeah. it was really uh, something. And I remember that I would always go out service whenever I could. And I remember there were a couple of times that there were some weird incident, incidences. I know that one time someone definitely let their dogs out into their backyard. Mm. And I don't know if they were planning on opening the gate on this or anything. Mm. Uh, but it scared time... you, I imagine. Like, you were wondering. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had no idea. I had heard all these horror stories and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, I remember one time, and this is somewhat SFW, but I was probably around eight or nine at the time, and we went to knock on the door, and some guy just walks up to the door, totally in the buff. Really? Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. God. I mean, I don't know about awesome as a descriptor word. No, there. yeah. It's, it's, it's messed up, and it's sad. Like, how old yeah. were you? I was probably like eight or nine at the time. Okay. Yeah, that is pretty messed yeah. up. Yeah. And it was weird. I was with um another one of the brothers from my hall. Oh man. What and were like what did they just... say about it? Like what was what happened? I don't I don't really remember. I was so young at the time yeah. and I was just kind of the shell shock yeah. of it. Yeah. Oh man. For sure, I know what you mean. Um, that's never happened to me, but I have heard stories. I, I think my brother had a shotgun put in his face once and oh, geez. i yeah. did have a guy threaten to shoot us if we didn't get off our property or if we didn't get off his property oh yeah i mm. i remember one very specific occasion when i was going in service knocking on doors uh fyi for those of you who don't know or were never a member of jehovah's witnesses going in service means knocking <laughs> on doors <laughs> but anyway i remember i was knocking on doors and i came to this apostolic guy's house and he was mm -hmm. telling me about um, how he handles snakes and things like that. And, of course, West Virginia is the, I, I think it's the very last state where it's legal to handle snakes. I think it's illegal in every other state at this point. But dude was, like, huh. bizarre. But he was debating us, of course. And we were holding our own, but, you know, in biblical standards. But the elder that I was in service with was like, you know, trying to leave because at that point he felt like it was pointless to even bother. And also maybe he was a little bit afraid of what the guy was saying. Who knows? You know? Yeah. But it's really fascinating to look back on that, that whole mindset now and think about how we viewed things and because we really do have like a mask that we put on at that time. Right. Oh, absolutely. Like I worked with this, this Mormon woman for a while there and I could just see the fakeness in her, you know, it, it was like, she's just an awfully nice person, but everything she said and did down to the way she smiled was fake as fuck, you know? Oh yeah. 
and and that's what cults do they produce that type of personality in people that that fake personality i totally agree with that um you know when i was in choir uh a lot of uh, there are a lot of really religious people in choir just because you know grew up singing in church found out they loved it kind of thing yeah and um i do remember that there was one guy that i always always wish i could have talked to a bit more about it but he was so much more deep into his faith he was a um a mormon from lds and I always wish I could talk to him because he was just the most genuinely nice person I'd ever met. Really? And it was really sad because I knew that um, the church had been abusing that from him. Yeah. And they'd always told him because he uh, – because of the fact that he was friends with basically everyone that he ever met, he always had to bring up uh, mm. Mormonism in some kind of context. Yeah. That happens. And it was such a damn shame. Yeah, it is. And I know that there was a um, a time that he was actually instructed to stop talking to me because I was friends with a couple of other Mormons and I had actually slowly started to turn them away from all that oh, and awesome. have them think for themselves. So Were you still Jehovah's Witness at the time or not so much? Uh, no, this was pretty late in high school. I think okay. my sophomore year Okay. at this point. Right. But apparently that I'd um, gotten enough of their kids to start misbehaving, or at least not in the manner that they wanted, that uh, someone told a bishop, and then bishop kind of talked to a couple of kids that went to my school and said, hey, you need to stop talking to this kid. You're bad association now, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I am I was really proud of that. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I still oh, am yeah. to this day. Yeah, I take pride in it now. That is That is awesome, man. I love it. Yeah. But anyway, I appreciate oh. you coming on and talking to me again. It's been awesome. Uh, but yeah, hey man, always a pleasure. Yeah, I'm sure we'll end up talking again. So I'll talk to yeah. you next time. Okay. Yeah, you have it going, brother. All right. I notice a lot of different groups are kind of disproportionately Christian, and I can totally see why uh, choir would be disproportionately Christian, because that is a really big thing in church. Not necessarily with Jehovah's Witnesses, really. I mean, we do say we. Notice, I'm saying we. They do sing before, uh, like, before the meetings and after the meetings, during the meetings, so on and so forth. But it isn't really like that. It isn't like, it isn't as big as you'll find in other churches. But yeah, that, that does make sense. You'd find that. Anyway, so the next person I wanted to talk to was, wait a minute. Somebody I talked to last time, too. Fetus Deletus, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you, indeed. Yeah, we just don't have many people that are on the list, strangely. I guess, I wonder if there's, like, some event going on tonight or something. We have, like, yeah. 18 people in the the voice chat right now, but none of them are on the list, strangely. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, we talked last time, uh, but do you want to remind Do you want to remind I was going to... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead thinking i was gonna come on like weeks later i didn't want to steal anybody's spot since i came on last time oh no no it's fine um yeah i mean it was an interesting conversation last time anyways do you want to remind me i feel like you said you weren't religious growing up is that right no i was never really religious right and your your parents weren't really religious either no so what was it like growing up as an atheist or or a de facto atheist i mean did you ever get to class and hear people talking about Christianity 
or any of that other stuff and just kind of wonder like what was so special about it was so unique about it or did you ever stand up and say the pledge of allegiance and hear the under god part and wonder what that was all about um yeah i I actually always heard um i did think that about the under god i was always wondering why we exactly needed that and it sounded kind of like it was inherited towards christians because Mm. like god not gods right since yeah since there are a lot of polytheistic religions out there they're talking about one specific god right yeah good point the most mainstream like uh monotheistic religion is obviously uh christianity so yeah you know honestly i had not considered that that's a really good point why why did they go with a why did they go with god instead of gods huh yeah, it's freedom of religion, so I don't understand why it's God. You know, the safest because... bet, honestly, is just to not include it at all. <laughs> honestly, yeah. so I don't know. That's yeah. Well, I actually kind of I grew up in the Netherlands, like until I was eight. Oh. So out of there. That's the, cool, really. The Netherlands. Yeah. Um. So, uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, most of them are Roman Catholic, I think. Uh, right. What was it like growing up in the Netherlands? I mean, I, I was under the impression that the Netherlands are largely kind of non-religious. Is that right, or...? Yeah. Yeah, they definitely are. They don't really care that much. Like, they don't care if you're a religion. I don't think there's that many Jehovah's Witnesses. I'll check, actually. Yeah, probably not. Actually, the other day I was looking at... uh, Hang on. I can pull something up, too. Um, Um, I'm not sure how good this is, because it came from JW.org. Oh, okay. But it says there's 357 congregations, um, 29,603 ministers who teach the Bible, and 1 in 582 um, is the ratio of... Jehovah's Witness in the Netherlands. You know something so. that I've come to find out about JW.org is they're they're kind of hit and miss. So they'll be accurate about some things and just completely off with other things. One of the things oh. that I suspect they're telling the truth about is their numbers. And the reason I think that, or at least part of the reason, is because they're actually reporting negative numbers in some countries now. If they were lying about their numbers, I imagine they wouldn't want to show the negative numbers. Also, apparently in Australia, they put religion on their census recently, like what denomination or whatever are you? And the number of people who claimed to be Jehovah's Witness actually matched up with what the Jehovah's Witnesses reported uh, in Australia. So that leads me to believe they're probably telling the truth about their numbers, but it's really hard to tell, you know, but anyway, yeah, that's pretty Um, interesting. So, so what was it like growing up in the Netherlands? Like, tell me about the place. I don't know anything about it. Do you remember it? Cause I, I moved out of uh, Connecticut when I was about eight. So yeah, that's where I'm from. (laughs) Um, really? You're, you're from uh, Connecticut. Truth wanted, uh, when you were on this. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, and you asked me which part. That, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I realized <laughs> I, I was on <laughs> the eastern live. part. I'll say that. that. I'll say it's the eastern part. Round Hartford. Yeah, somewhere in there. Um. Um. 
Oh, by the way, uh, yeah. somebody in special events text, the meme chef uh, said, the reason the underguard part exists in the IRC, PSV, we're trying to be as different from the Soviets as possible. Yeah. So we added that in. Okay. Yeah, that was added Thanks. in like later too. It was, it was recently, I think it was like in the 50s or something or I don't even remember now, but it was it was reasonably recent. And it I think it was put on there or put in there around the same time that money had in God we trust added. They were just trying to get, yeah, you about know, the Soviets. Yeah, there was like this big atheist scare. That's part of the reason why the word atheist is so scary now to people, I guess, because uh, the Soviets were atheists. China is nationally atheist, and it, it, atheism and communism kind of came together in a oh, weird yeah. hybrid at the time. So, yeah. I know one thing that was surprising when I moved from the Netherlands back to America, because mm. like I'm not Dutch. My parents just live there, right, for like a little bit, and yeah, um, like I was with my friend, and I feel it. I didn't really have any big experiences with it, but I feel like they were so much more centered on religion. Like I was at my friend's house once and I said like, Oh God, like I forgot something. And they were like the, like the mother or something heard me and was like, Oh, don't say that. Say like, really? Oh, my stars or okay. something like that. <laughs> oh and man. You've got to love those replacement phrases. Don't you like, Oh, my stars yeah. or Oh gosh. Ugh. Oh my Jupiter. Like, yeah. It's just so bad. <laughs> sometimes just for laughs i'll say it though just just purely ironically like i'd never say that unironically i'll say something like g willikers or jeepers or something it's just so bad or oh frick yeah i think somebody said oh frick yeah (laughs) so awful but anyway, yeah, it's been cool having you on again uh, two weeks in a row. So that that was pretty awesome. Yeah. And then tr- on the Truth Wanted show, I appreciate you calling in there and coming on and talking to me for this time. Oh, I'm sure thanks. I'll I'll talk to you again one of these days, okay? Yeah. Oh, can I actually ask one more question sure, what's on up? behalf of uh, Nope Sauce? Uh, he was somebody who asked him a question. Sure. Um, Oh, let me find it. Sorry. Oh, no problem. Well, both me and him were wondering about what was your position on um, faith healing, especially from the, uh, I think, the followers of Christ Church. Mm, right. It's like, And these kids are, like, dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because their parents refuse to take them to doctors, and they, like, die because the parents are literally, like, praying over their body. Yeah. It is pretty serious so, stuff. Uh, what is it? Executed doing it but yeah i just wanted to hear your all right yeah i can i can talk about that actually it's pretty significant to me i'll go ahead and mute you and i will answer that uh in just a second thank you for coming on once again um so about faith healing i don't know if you guys have heard of darren brown before but i'm going to go to youtube and pull it up real quick um i'm not going to play the video but uh, yeah, this is Darren Brown. So I guess he did a documentary on faith healing called Miracles for Sale, I think. It's like an hour and 13 minutes long. Really, really good documentary. He basically, so Darren Brown is this magician, quote unquote, or mentalist, I think is actually what he's called. He's an atheist. And he has uh, pretty much, he does these magic shows where he does this really, really amazing stuff. He's an entertainer, 
but he discourage or he encourages critical thinking and discourages, you know, um, woo basically. So he did this documentary on faith healing, exposing it and pointing out how bad it is and and the terrible things that come from it. The people who die every year because of faith healers. And he pretty much trained this guy to be a fake faith healer. He trained him to do the same things that faith healers do to try to trick people into believing him. And, of course, doing it in a non-harmful way. And in the process, proving it to be just complete BS. You guys should definitely watch that. It's really, really interesting. In fact, I may watch it again after... Um, after the podcast, but, uh, yeah, Darren Brown's really, really awesome dude. But anyway, yeah, faith healing is really toxic. I should really do a video on it one of these days. Uh, that's about it for our time. Appreciate you guys coming. I will talk to you next week.